You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. First off, Drew, thanks for joining the podcast, and I think uh, this will be a really great episode. There's a lot we can talk about in terms of uh, we're going to get into things like networking and how to understand people in sociology, because you're doing a lot of great work out there uh, with the law enforcement community and other areas with the many different companies that you run currently right now. So maybe you kind of give us a little bit about your background and especially about some of the work that you're doing today in these companies. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. So listen to a few of y'all's podcasts with Jason, who's also on here. Really great stuff, pretty informative, whether, you know, whatever demographic you guys are appealing to, the guys getting out, the guys coming in. So it was pretty eye-opening. I'm glad I found it. I'm glad you contacted me. It was only good when um, Jason joined, or was it good otherwise? Because you mentioned... Uh, it, yeah, you know, uh, I was going to just leave that be, but, uh, <laughs> you know. No. Yeah, no, they've been, they've been really good. Um, yeah, so I... Been in the, I was in the Army since 2006, joined, and I came over to SF around 2008, um, Army Special Forces, did all that, and I was with 5th Group. Um, was on my team, Halo team for a while, then moved over to a specialized company, had a few deployments here and there, uh, doing a variety of different things, really. Um, never One deployment was never quite the same. Um, once I started getting out, started setting myself up for success, I guess you could say, not just going to let it come to an end yeah. and then just, you know, well, what do I do now? Well, right. <laughs> that's not really what we do in the military. We, we plan ahead. And if you're slightly paranoid or OCD like we are sometimes, you know, you, you want to have everything in a row. So um, I started a company called Bear Solutions. Uh, we do firearms training. We also do consulting, whether it's leadership, team building, communication-based, like we did for uh, Ole Miss University uh, Strength and Conditioning Department, or it's um, consulting to police departments with soft lessons learned that we got coming up here, um, hopefully at the beginning of next year, we're talking to a department about, and then obviously rifle and pistol training, um, and also other things like CQB, law enforcement-specific stuff, because really that's... We've got a lot of guys coming out of these wars, GWAT experience, all this kind of stuff. And all that experience can be benefited from from by those police officers here in the States. And that's one of the main reasons I started Bear Solutions. I'm not a cop. I don't pretend to be. I have a lot of respect for those guys. I don't know if I could put up with some of the stuff they do. Uh, but I know we have a lot of skills that we can make them better and apply those skills to their jobs to make them more you know, whether it be proficient or, you know, protect those civil liberties that they've sworn to do. So that's kind of the goal with Bear Solutions. So right uh, from, you know, just understanding the background and such like that, you're not primarily working because of your soft background with, uh, say, SWAT team and stuff like that. You're working with your everyday LEO type of uh, law enforcement, right? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. So okay. we do have had some SWAT teams that we talked to. We do CQB training, um, got some of that experience. But the main focus right now is talking to those patrol level officers, getting some of those skills, whether they were the, you know, lessons learned from Afghanistan during those stability operations, you know, understanding the human terrain, all these different things, getting that in there. And then really giving those guys the skills that they don't get. You know, these guys are overworked, underpaid, and underappreciated, you know, and they don't get these skills, whether it's target identification and proper training, so they know when they draw that gun, when to engage, when to not to. Yeah. Uh, and the police classes I've done with these guys, that's a lot of what we focus on. Excellent. Um, so how do you know Jason, this character here? Because, I mean, you guys, I, I guess, go back to fifth group time. And uh, so how was it that you guys met up and the whole bit? 
Oh, go ahead. First Chase. of all, before you no, before you even get into this, I just want to disclaimer that I'm probably going to agree with maybe ten percent of whatever he says. So I don't. First, I don't remember how we met the first time. I do. I remember some situations, but mo- not most. Uh, mainly just because Drew's face just kind of falls in the background of most of the other guys we work with. But yeah, that's right. That was that was kind of you know we're all white. You know, I think that's a little. Uh, yeah, I just want to. Yeah, actually, he dropped that on the last podcast episode that you probably heard about, you know, it's a bunch of white guys with beards. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I was talking about the beer industry at that point. (laughs) Short, kind of stocky, white dude, tattoos, like, oh, you mean that guy, 90% of the guys. It's like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Jason, so the story of the Cosmopolitan. Yeah, so Jason, I usually met him and hanging out, having a few drinks with the guys. And I think, Jason, what were you drinking again? It was a... None of this is correct. Shirley Temple? <laughs> Something like that. No, I can't remember, man. We were, uh, I've been in the company for a little bit. And you came in as a team leader and uh, you went to one of the other teams in our company. Um, yeah, I, so, I, I, so when I showed up, I, two week turnaround, when I first showed up, I was, I was on a plane overseas with, and Drew was on that plane. And I don't really remember too much about it. It was a mix of ODAs and different teams and we were going to different places. We just happened to be riding the same, same Air Force taxi. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we got stuck in, in Germany. It was probably one of the better times of my life, I think. And, and I kind of peaked too early on that, on that, on that career. <laughs> Cause I was, uh, we basically got stuck there for like five days and it was, uh, oh, nice. every, every, every day that we would do our duffel bag drag, bring all of our stuff down in the oh, pack and only find out that we're not leaving. And so we'd bring it all the way back to the hotel we were at and then go find trouble to get in that, that, you know, each yep. night. Um, so that's, more hours. So. Yeah. And so, every, yeah, they kept jerking us on a chain. Like every 24 hours, they would tell us, you got one more day here kind of thing. So I, I, that was my first impression. But my first professional time working was in Mazar Sharif in 2012. Drew, Drew was an Intel. He was, he was filling the role as the, uh, the detachment Intel sergeant. And so the, the team leaders and the Intel sergeants all got together for like a little mini conference kind of thing. Oh, kind of cross level, cross level ideas or whatnot seeing what's working in in different areas because everywhere we worked was so different um that it's really hard to tell like what is is what drew's doing in his area going to work down where i'm at kind of thing so you really couldn't get that sense from you know weekly emails or a vtc so we kind of got together i think it was like two or three nights um and kind of got around a table and kind of talked over you know what we all had going on so i think that was kind of our first real professional time working together and then then i became the company xo and i was at at that time, I think I was, I think Drew, we were trying to help you go green to gold and you ended up getting like screwed over big time, like yeah. from some tattoo policy bullshit. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. So because you had tattoos, you know, this, this, he was one of the NCOs that we identified clearly had the stuff to become a team leader, you know, in, in SF. So, um, which is, you know, you don't say that about everybody there. So it kind of speaks to who he is. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the way the world works, man, we, he started going down a road and they yanked the chain on him. So, uh, so we ended up just deploying his ass a bunch more times, um, yep. to different places, <laughs> which is always fun. Can't really yeah. argue about that, but no. <clears throat> that's totally messed so. up, you know, and I think actually Jason and I kind of talked about that whole, um, adventure that you had going on there with the green to gold. And, you know, when you start looking at, the needs of the army and the uh, uh, what you would have brought to the table and everything. I can't imagine that there was not somebody that jumped up and gave an exception to policy in this case. Uh, you know, that, that just is beyond me. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, you know, at the end of the day, the army is the army, you know, yeah. we can all, it's what you make of it and you got to try and you got to fight to get the most out of it. But right. you know, Hey, 
didn't work out for me in that way. You know, God had a different plan, so I moved on. And luckily, we're doing this now, and uh, I think it's going to go really well. So Jason and I are working together now a little bit uh, going forward with some of this police consulting. And, you know, it's obviously going to work out for the best for family and everything else. Yeah. So when Bayer Solutions is going to be working down there, you mentioned with the LEO and some of the stuff that you're doing, specifically with a certain region down in Florida, you guys have been talking to, and I don't know if you want to elaborate about the specific location or not at this during this podcast, but um, I, I love some of the work that you guys are doing around trying to bring the community and the police force together and at least understanding some of the challenges or relatability and, and such that they can work together. And, and, you know, when Jason and I were having a conversation around this, for me, I remember the days, you know, when you, especially when you think about big city environments like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and those types of places where there were cops that walked the beat. It was very important for them to be seen within the community, to build those relationships. As a matter of fact, many of them were uh, people that grew up with the, the, the same individuals in that community area because that's where they walked the beat within. So they knew of them. They knew of their families. The families knew one another. And, and it, they were almost on a first-name basis, you know, with a lot of the people within the area. Because the, you know, we have grown as we have within the United States and uh, we have uh, smaller communities, more rural areas, and law enforcement uh, are faced with different types of challenges. I, I think that in some ways they've kind of lost that communi- con- uh, community connection. At least that's what I hear a lot. And that there's a real opportunity to bring those two together, at least so that they interface often and understand each other's challenges and some of the things that they go through, because we read about it all the time in the media. Absolutely. And Jason's talked about it before. He and I, you know, talking to this particular department, you know, we brought up a lot of the lessons learned, you know, what we did right, what we did wrong. But what you're talking about, that beat cop is something that people always talk about. They say back in the day, you know, the people knew the cop, the cop knew the people and all this stuff. And whether it's been, you know, certain mentalities, whatever it is, you know, those officers are now kind of tied to that car and they're not humanized in the eyes of the people. They just, they don't have that same level of interaction. There's not that relationship per se, like, you know, they used to have. Um, that's one thing that we've learned overseas on different deployments that especially, you know, Jason can elaborate more, but during my time in Afghanistan, you know, conducting village stability was, hey, we live in that area. We own that area. Those people know us and we're building that human terrain. We're identifying the different people so we know where to focus our efforts. Um, a lot of that, of what we done, uh, what we had done there can really be benefited from uh, by the police officers and with these cops, they have a, a concept that they use, and it's community policing. And when you hear that, you either see some people are like, that's what we need, or a lot of other people who are police officers tend to roll their eyes at that. Because it's a term that's really been, you know, uh, it's just been get, given a bad reputation because it's been executed in such a really bad way in some areas with way too much oversight or this or that or wrong direction. They didn't have a good asthma check on this or a left or right limit or really where to focus those efforts. Well, I think it's probably also been given a negative spotlight because of the media and the things that have been brought to attention that don't happen in a probably a large scale. But yet, you know, as, as with anything with statistics, you can paint the picture however you want to. And so uh, sometimes in the media, they may take a, a small bit of information information, if it moves papers, if it moves clicks on a website, if it gets people talking and that type of thing about the information that they put out, then that's that's a big hit. And so when you think about that community type of relationship, I'm sure that people are hearing community and they're hearing that maybe they're not doing enough of that um, and they don't have that kind of conversation and they're not working the, with the community and they seem to be very siloed and, and working in a very siloed environment. 
uh, very focused on what their requirements are and what they're supposed to do. And then the public is over here and they feel like in some cases the law enforcement community may be at, at times above the law and and not really holding the, their own selves uh, to the same accountability and standards and stuff. And so that's that tends to be the focus. I'm not saying that's what is actually happening, but I think that's the perception at least that goes out there. So I'm sure on the law enforcement community, there may be a, a, a perception that could be negative uh, of how they perceive certain things should be done by their, their profession. And yet there is a perception out by the civilian community of how they believe the law enforcement should be acting. Somehow you've got to get the two together, you know? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think from uh, one of the things that Drew and I kind of, when we got together and started kind of talking about this, we, we both have time in multiple countries doing, doing, different style of missions. So we got to kind of see a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different avenues, let's say. Um, and so because of that, we can kind of bring in our experiences together and kind of show, um, what worked and what didn't. And for us, when, when Drew, like I, I came, I came in on active duty and in 2005, but I didn't, I didn't deploy till 2006. So I think that's when Drew, you said you came in around 2006. So like we are, we've got an almost an identical timeline as far as like living the differences between what we were doing when we first came in versus a, add one or two years to our deployments and how we, we changed how we operated. Um, and we saw the benefits of, of these different changes. And so it's, it's kind of like us taking all right, what are we, what were we doing the first time? It was rolling around in, in big armored vehicles, um, leaving huge bases and going out and trying to find the enemy. And then, um, you know, fast forward a, a year, uh, so it's 2007, 2008 time, and they're, they're kicking us all out of the big bases and making us live in the neighborhoods. And so we got to live that as far as, like, we would, we would know who, who's who in, in our area. We truly understood, you know, the human dynamic much better than we ever did when we were leaving a larger base and, and driving around. And then, you know, add, add more years to this, and now we're talking 2012 time frame, and now we're in Afghanistan doing this. And it's, it, we're at that, I think, I, I feel this way anyway, I'm sure Drew, you do the same. I feel at that point, we were able to bring in all these lessons and really execute at a very high level. Um, and so for us, it's, it's that bringing in all of those little things that we did, that all those hard lessons we learned for 10 years of fighting in, in war and trying to figure out what applies to local law enforcement and what doesn't. And we're, we're, Drew and I are very careful to explain up front, we are not teaching <coughs> tactics. Because the tactics don't don't translate. It's it's the principles uh, behind those tactics, um, right. and so I think that's that's the key part. And, and and Drew kind of brought up one one thing about community law enforcement or community policing has a kind of negative connotation to your your uh, patrol officer, um, and it's the same negative connotation that we had with winning hearts and minds. You know, if you want to turn turn off a bunch of SF guys about what their next mission is, you know, quick start throw up a PowerPoint, start talking about winning hearts and minds. Like, we'll we'll shut our brains right off because we don't want to hear this. We want to go out there and go get after it, right? Um, and so, so it was it was the realization that we weren't winning hearts and minds to be everyone's friends. It was building relationships to gather information that allowed us to be more precise with our kinetic effects which in law enforcement would end up being, you know, um, you know, actually making arrests on people versus what we were doing. We're, we're, you know, putting hellfire missiles on, on top of cars kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's that, it's that concept of, you know, we hated winning hearts and minds. Like that was the dumbest, like, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying, but down to that 19 year old 
he doesn't understand that, you know, and he doesn't want to hear that. You know, you talk to that infantryman, you just turn that brain right off. Like that dude's not right. listening to you. Um, so it's it's that kind of background that we're coming at this, and and hopefully, um, you know, that I think we can bring some of these lessons and show law enforcement how it's not it's not just walking a beat and being a nice guy kind of thing. It's it's your you have a mission, uh, an overall end state, and a goal that you're working towards, and it's tying in multiple different things at the exact same time to get to that end state. Um, just one of which is is maybe the kinetic aspect of it. So I, I that's kind of where, where we are. And I typically like to bring in the whole transitional aspect or the private sector piece of it. So what you guys are describing, not just in law enforcement, but in any day job, you have to build relationships and network within the community. If you're, if you're planning on growing, if you're planning on getting things done, uh, it, it's all based on that type of network and relationship building. And, and once you have that strong sense of community and you have a, a, you at least have a commonality that you've found within your relationship. It makes it much easier to have conversation and those types of things. It sounds very similar to what you're describing there. And it's called networking out here, uh, especially within the private sector and the job community. I would say maybe like one little difference is that all that, all that is true, but we're overlaying a, a planning aspect to this. Sure. So we're, we're very focused on, um, and I'm in the civilian world. It's the same way because I'm doing it with the current company I'm working with too. Like I'm, I'm actually planning on people that I would like to network with because I can see the potential of going, you know, further building the business, going down uh, a specific path. So, but for us, it's it's that collection. The and we we did intelligence collection, right? So it was us collecting all these little tidbits of information, and Drew being, uh, you know, acting as a, their their team's intel sergeant would have to kind of piece all these little bits together. And kind of paint the overall picture and show trends and, and then that would kind of focus the entire organization you know based on what are we trying to achieve and so that's that's kind of like we're putting our little military stamp on this and it's it's the planning aspect it's the, it's everything has a purpose everything we're doing is is thought of ahead of time and it's and there's a purpose behind it and it's going to lead to this final end state kind of thing so that's kind of what i see and part of that too like you talk about all this, you know, we all have that moment where, you know, say the hearts and minds, you know, like handing out soccer balls or whatever, where it clicks. That's like, <laughs> right. here's why we're doing it. Right. I don't give a flying. I'll try to, you know, F, I forgot about the soccer balls. Soccer ball. Yeah, dude. Like I, I can care about less I actually, about a soccer ball. Yeah, and I've actually but, found a picture on uh, Divids or I think it was of a guy kicking a soccer ball. And I know that he gave that soccer ball to that kid. And uh, that's oh, how yeah. it all came about. Yeah. 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 I've got a video on my computer of me like in full kit beard, yeah. everything, right. my rifle, grenade launcher, kicking a soccer ball around with a kid. I don't care about giving that kid a soccer ball. I care <laughs> right. about achieving mission. And when you realize, hey, we've got to do these little things, that's going to add up to this overall end state. You know, it's seeing that bigger picture and kind of instead of looking through that straw, that toilet paper tube, now you're seeing that fan of what your scope and your left and right limit is. And that was when it kind of clicked was um, going there overseas, especially Afghanistan, very formative deployment for me. You know, I learned a lot. I feel like I kind of came into my own as a special forces soldier there. It was a very different operating environment. And at the end of the day, we were being proactive instead of reactive. Yeah. So getting out there saying, hey, this is our area. We're going to go out and know everything we can about it. And we're going to drive the operations. We're going to gain intel to know who to take out, where to go, what to focus on and how to get either at somebody else, say task force to come in and, you know, action a target, or if we're going to do that with our, you know, force of ALP or whatever it may be, you know, within those limitations of ALP aren't supposed to be an offensive force, blah, 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 whatever. So <clears throat> we did all this and we went on 
And that was where it kind of made sense was, hey, I'm here getting in, and you told great stories about this. We're here doing more work. We're getting out and we're engaging the enemy or whatever it may be this way more than we did before when we're being reactive of sitting back, maybe having a source come in, talking to them, and then hoping to go out on a mission. You know, like this is, hey, we're taking charge of, you know, our end state, you know, what we're going to accomplish here and we're going out and doing it. And part of that is, you know, you have to be able to trust those guys below you to actually go out and do the right thing. You have to give them that, you know, that long leash, that chain, yeah, let them empower go. Empower them, yeah. Empower guys, you know, don't restrict them. Instead of, no, 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 you can't do this. Ask questions why, drive, left and right limit. And one of the best captains I had, we were actually talking about him earlier, uh, Bill, he was really, really good about that. Like he was always empowered, do this and let's go forth and, and do great things. But being proactive in this way, instead of reactive, you know, and now we're getting more work done, even though I'm meeting with somebody and drinking a little tea or going to this one store, I'm going to that store and handing out a soccer ball as, hey, that's great, but hey, who's that guy over there? Okay, I want to find out about this. We're focusing our efforts to that area maybe we're using this to cover it up but we are definitely saying we're getting something out of it that's going to achieve getting those guys off the battlefield yeah. we didn't do any of that unless we got somebody off the battlefield in the end yeah and, and i think from a uh to try to relate this to law enforcement it was for us it was the explanation to everyone in the room before we went out and did this this is the reason why we're, we're going to go do this because on the surface it looks it looks benign or or even like it's a waste of of this this patrol officer's efforts, right? But if yes. it is, if it is like, hey, we are there's an, an overall end state to this, and this is why this is important. This is what we're going to go um, try to get today. Today we're we're trying to get X, you know, um, and so and then it's something that kind of leads into the next the next thing. It leads into the next thing, um, and and it's the tough part is it takes months before you start to see some of the the, the fruits of your labor. Um, the one difference between law enforcement and, and, and all of our deployments is that the, the time standard. So uh, a police officer can work in the same precinct his entire life, right? You know, he or she can work there for 30 years and they live in that exact same area and they work that. For they us, we would come up, in. Yeah. 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 So we, we would come in for, you know, nine months at a time, a year, 15 months, six months. It was different each time, but it was a, always a finite amount of time. And so for us, it was very hard to see all this hard work uh, actually, you know, show any kind of value until, and, and Drew's got this great story about like how he got to see the value of what he did in 2012, like in what, 2014, 15? I can't remember when. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the story we're telling. I'm like, it's, you're going to see this, you're going to see the benefits, but it's going to take a long time. You just got to trust the con the concept, trust the plan. It works. And here's, here's some examples of, of that, you know, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do. And some of the things that we're talking about here is like working with, um, you know, the crime areas, the, the gangs or, um, you know, areas that have had difficulty with law enforcement, the, trying to build that, like you said, that relationship and everything, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you were on active duty, I mean, I know you guys primarily in special forces is part of training indigenous forces, but it's also in building that community and that network uh, within that, like you guys were describing, it starts with the the soccer balls and the whole thing. But I mean, really, it, it's about building those types of relationships in there and getting the confidence of the people there to be able to uh, to get uh, the information that you need, and the intel that you need to be able to accomplish whatever objective it is. And I can see the same thing that you're looking for in the communities 
I mean, we have um, right now, uh, what do they call it? Neighborhood uh, watchers and stuff like that. Part of the reasons yeah. why they do that is, again, to win over the community so that they can be fully aware of the activity that's going on, especially in neighborhoods that seem to have a higher crime rate. Hey, if we get the public involved, they can lead us to the individuals uh, or groups or whatever that are potentially causing a lot of the ruckus so that we can focus our energy where it needs to be uh, focused as opposed to, you know, trying to have a police officer in a beat everywhere. But if we can teach the public to help us with that, that's great. Yeah, I think also, like, understanding, too, like, uh, that's that's obviously one aspect, and, it, and it's a great, great program, and, you know, once you get it working. But for, for Drew and I, like, our background, like, we we also know that, because um, I've, I've, imp- I've implemented those exact programs overseas, and they do work, but here's where they don't work. They don't work if it if the, the people that are causing the the worst part of the crime that you're trying to affect are family members. You know, they're not going to call the tip line and kind of give you info on, on their uncle who's, you know, throwing out IEDs out. Right. It's the same thing in these like really troubled neighborhoods. Like we're the outsider. So then it's, it's again, we have like years of experience and stories where we can show how, Hey, we had to work with these like really troubled areas. Like we always had these neighborhoods that were just absolute beehives of, of enemy activity here's how we kind of tackled that problem, you know? And it was, it's, it's again, zero tactics because the tactics don't apply, but it's those principles, you know, of trying to figure out, um, you know, being smart with your, your efforts. And I think really at the end of the day, it's, it's, if we can overlay a planning aspect with an, with an overall goal, that's a very long-term goal of what you really want to achieve there. And then every person at the ground level kind of understands it and it has the freedom to actually implement, you know, these, these strategies, they'll be very successful. Um, but, it's it's a it's a number of different things. It's buy-in, like at the patrol officer level, like the patrol officer has to believe in this that it's going to work in the long run. Has to believe in the plan. Um, the the leadership of that precinct has to give them the freedom of maneuver, freedom of action to go actually do that. And so that was our experience in Afghanistan. Um, we it it wasn't even a factor of our leadership just trusted us and let us do whatever. It was that. It were so it, every area was so wildly different that they could not tell us what to do. We were, we literally had all of the information, and we were informing our higher command of, "Hey, this is what's going on in our area." My area was completely different than Drew's. Yep. They couldn't come down top down and tell us, "Hey, this is what you guys need to blanket blanket. You guys do all this." And every time they did try to do that, it always came from really up high. And hey, you guys need to do X, Y, and Z. And we're like, "That's uh, never like, hey, yeah. is that going to work in your area? No, <laughs> not going to work in my area." You know, That's it was like. Not. You know, and and so I think our background is this very bottom-up driven. It's got to be the patrol officer that's generating the information that's going to lead to captures of of you know key people in those bad neighborhoods. But it also has to be tied to a higher level mission. You know, of of what do you want to do with that neighborhood? You know, it can't just be I'm just going to go in there and just constantly uh, arrest every drug dealer. Like you got to remove the reason why the drugs are even being or even successful in that neighborhood that how do we cause do that analysis yeah it's that root cause exactly. it's to the, yeah yep. but but it's, it's the tie of all of it robert and so it's like you got to have that 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 aspect of we are going to arrest a bunch of these guys but that has to be tied in with these other programs these other other concepts that are going to remove the the reason those guys have the ability to survive in that neighborhood right um if you take away their ability to survive in that neighborhood they'll you know, they'll have to go somewhere else kind of thing. Um, Not just that survivability part too, but you look at the influence also. Like these police officers, one of the similarities we had in Afghanistan was we're not there all the time. You know, they they have to live with these people. There's constant influence from when you become a bad actor or whatever it may be, influencing these people. 
by getting out and, you know, whether you would call it walking the beat or whatever, you know, that unconventional policing thing that we kind of talk about, sure. getting on that ground and establishing this, these principles of VSO, we're giving them another option. We're at least showing them, them them that we're there for the long haul. And after you've established that little bit of rapport or that little bit of trust, now at least they can say, all right, you know, I know that person. I've seen him around. He's around quite a bit. You know, the bad actors aren't influencing us as much. And you know what? I could, I feel comfortable just to tell you this. You know, and then that builds and that snowballs and that just spreads out by the ink blot. You know, I mean, now you're gaining more intel on the ground. Now you're figuring out what drives these guys and figuring out, hey, why do they have so much influence and what is keeping them loyal to these people? Sure. You know, because they kind of set up like a shadow government in a small way. You know what I mean? And whether it's a gang in a local neighborhood, you know, some of these in, in one police department we talked to, these local gangs actually support the people with money, monetary funds, you know, whatever it may be, sure. helping them out. The, the police, you know, they're not doing that and it's not their fault. Like that's not their job to do that. But these guys are taking advantage of being around them all the time. Right. And so that's kind of one of the concepts too. take away that influence. And that's one of the biggest things. Once you remove that, now those people actually have another option. So I think that's one of the things, especially that we learned in, in Afghanistan. And I think something that's very much that we can you know, tailor to a police department because at the end of the day, everything's different. Every police department is different. Not one is the same. Just like our VSPs were wildly different. What he did wouldn't work for us. What we did yep. wouldn't work for him. So I take this like approach to what we're doing as um, we're giving them some tools to use, right? And some things that they can, they can kind of like figure out because we can't tell them this is going to work exactly perfectly in your area, but it has to be that like what, what Drew's talking about, Hey, that wouldn't work where I'm at, you know, or, you know, or I, I tell him something. He's like, nah, man, that's not going to work where I'm at. And this is why. So it's, it's the, the overarching principles overlaid with that ground knowledge of truly understanding that area and, and allowing you to understand, you know, what program could you do that would still achieve your end state? Because we're, Drew and I were working towards the same goal. We just went about it different ways. And the reason we went about it different ways is because we both found different ways that it would work with our, our area. One of the things that we're not really touching on um, is how dangerous it is and, and how difficult um, it is to implement a program that has the flexibility to change on a dime when you see an opportunity to you know, achieve some initiative. That is super, that's, that's, that's highly dangerous from a leadership standpoint of you know, like, let's take a police chief or, or a general that's in charge of, you know, like Afghanistan or whatever. Um, so they're letting us kind of do what we think is right. If we do something that's wrong, there's huge ramifications, right? Oh, yeah. Like if we, if we go down the wrong way and then at the same time, we put ourselves at immense risk to implement this new strategy. And so that's another thing that like uh, law enforcement will kind of have to deal with is that we're talking about going into the worst neighborhoods they have and trying to understand who, who they have there, you know, who are the influencers, who are the influencers and all that stuff. That takes like law enforcement walking a beat in a really dangerous neighborhood, you know, where right. you know, it's that that's a hard sell on on somebody who doesn't believe in this mission. You know, let's say, you know, that kind of thing, because we had soldiers. I know I've met soldiers that were like, man, I don't want to die for this. Like, this is yeah. <laughs> like, this plan sounds horrible. We're going to do what? We're going to go live in the worst neighborhood possible. <laughs> yeah, like right, right. We're, we're in hand grenade range 24 seven. Like, no, that doesn't sound safe to me. Like, and it's not safe. It was, it was, it was dangerous. And we lost a lot of, a lot of guys and it got worse before it got better. But the strategy in the long run really worked. And I think that's something that, you know, I don't, I don't want to gloss over that aspect of it, how it's dangerous both, um, bodily injury to the to police officers, and it's also dangerous to implement these strategies because you're allowing 
foot patrol officers to kind of have the freedom of, of, of action to do things that they think are right, you know, that are going to achieve that final end state. And that's, those are, those are both really tough to, to kind of internalize. And then also when they do give feedback and they say, Hey, this is how it is. You got to trust that because he's the guy actually out there doing it. He's the one generating this Intel. This is, you know, that actual boots on the ground. They always say, you know, the person at the lowest level, whatever they, they know the most because they're actually right. there. Right. And then for us that are on the ground, we get questioned we get a little uppity about it. You know, we get a little pissy when someone questions, you know, what I'm telling you. Say, hey, that's not how it is. Like I had a, a sergeant major come in and, you know, we're briefing him and telling him what's going on. You know, say, hey, this area was a black hole in Afghanistan, right? For example, we didn't know going into this, you know, area what it was like. We'd had no intel reporting, nothing consistent for three years or two years or something like that. So we go in there, we start to develop it, and then we start to identify people. Well, this sergeant major came in. I think you know who I'm talking about. <clears throat> but um, big that's our major. Anyway, great guy, but he had his opinion, you know, and he uh, he came in and said, you know, no, that's not how it is. And I think I think my team started might have grabbed me by the arm as I was like, what the you know what I'm saying? Like, how dare you? You know, guy who's a sergeant major, very respected, telling me at the time I was an E6, you know, and I wasn't even an E7 yet. But I'm my job was uh, to be the acting intel sergeant, you know, because ours had to leave a couple weeks before. And I was, you know, how dare you tell me I'm wrong? I'm the one here, you know. So for those police officers, a lot of that, too. Well, come to find out what he was telling us was, hey, you know, this these Taliban aren't big T Taliban, they call it. They aren't, ide- you know ideological, you know, extremists, all this kind of stuff. They're more the little T, we call them. They're more like gang members. This, this is an opportunity for them. And I was like, no, uh-uh, no, no, we don't know that for sure yet. That's something we need to find out. I was like, no, I'm telling you, Sergeant, that's how it is. And I was like, hails to the no. And kind of find out later on, you know, he was I'm right. just going to say, it's for the record, uh, I was right. right. And you he were right. Was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't that I was right. It was just, it was a, it was a gap we had. We can't make yeah. that assumption yet, you know, and we have to figure that out. But the guys on the ground know best. They have that feeling, you know, whatever's going into it, they're seeing all this and they're seeing everything around them, taking it in to make that decision to give to you. And I think the co- the uh, officers on the ground to be able to do that, that requires a lot of trust from that command, no matter who it is. When they tell you something, question it, you know, ask questions, make sure they're doing the right thing. But when they're steadfast in something like, hey, it's probably for a reason, you know what I mean? But yeah. you have to know those people too, so. Duke reached out to me about this and was like, "Hey, do you want to you want to come on this with me and and try to work uh, with this police department?" And I was like, "Absolutely, you know, whatever you know, Drew needs to get started, I'll 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 help out." Um, but it's it's kind of this way where like as my my role as the detachment commander or company XO or in the S three shop was to listen to guys like Drew and have them feed me information to help us with our overall plan. So because I had those responsibilities and Drew had the opposite where he was the guy on the ground, the guy feeding in the information, I think we're kind of uniquely set where, you know, I can work with the uh, the leadership of the police precinct and kind of explain to them how like this is, it's not going to feel very comfortable. You know, you got to, you got you to let these guys, you know, give them, give them a long leash and let, let them go do what was what right. And it's got to be on Drew to kind of teach them, you know, the patrol officers like, Hey, this is kind of how, how this works down here. Um, you know, if you, if you want, if you want your leadership to, to give you more rope, uh, you gotta, you gotta produce, you know, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's, you can't screw up. It's a zero fail, you know, situation. And that's kind of what, where, where we come from. Like it's zero fail. Uh, they expect us to hit a home run every single time we get to bat, which is ludicrous. Right. But we are put in those situations time and time again. And, and, and it's one of those things where like I, as, as one of the officers had to trust 
my guys and trust guy like drew like we sent drew to another country all by himself to go work for you know x y and z like you better believe i better trust everything about that kid when i put him in that position to be all by himself you know working in different host nation countries doing whatever you know we're not gonna get all the stuff but like it's it's that, it's that level of trust it's, it's and that leadership is probably the hardest i've ever i've ever come across it's way easier to be an infantry platoon leader where you've got all your soldiers right in front of you, you know, and you can tell them go left, go right, and the problems you're dealing with are checkers. Now we're playing chess, and I'm sending this, I'm sending Drew to a completely different country that I'm not even in. I'm like, hey man, just tell me what you got, you know, explain to me what's going on. And I'm like, hey, this is what Drew's saying, so it's, it must be the truth, right? Um, so that's that's kind of where we're leading these guys down to that level of of, of working. But like Drew said, you got to know your guys. Um, not everybody's a Drew Estelle, you know, so. Oh. Wow. Man, you're don't make me blush, Jason. Don't well, I, like it's seriously. And, and I'll I'll tune you up after this, obviously, because like you know I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's no, but it, it is one of those things where like there are there are guys that you can trust, and there are guys yeah. that you can't. Oh yeah, with with all of their responsibilities. So it's knowing your people at at my at, like from my aspect, I gotta know everybody because I can't put somebody in a position that will torpedo the entire organization. I can't put right. them in that position. You know, I can find other work for them to do. It's, yeah. it's knowing who those right officers are to put them in those really difficult positions. Um, you know, and that's, that's some of the stuff that, you know, Drew and I are hopefully going to get down there and, and do like a, a good recon of that area and kind of figure out, out all this kind of stuff. Cause that's, that's where it's graduate level. Well, it's really cool how you guys are actually tackling, uh, tackling this one from a command center perspective and another from the boots on the ground, because I think a lot of people would wonder if you just came in from the boots on the ground, the command side of it would look at it and go, yeah, but you're not giving me any information. And it sounds like you guys are doing so that it is successful. So I like how you've done that. But more importantly, I think what's really cool that you guys are describing is that from a transitional standpoint, you guys are utilizing the skills and knowledge that you gained from the Army and specific to your military occupational specialty, especially, and applying that within the private sector in some way that's not only going to to take you from an entrepreneur, a soldier to an entrepreneur type of atmosphere, as you've done, Drew uh, and Jason, but also in terms of providing a service that very much mats, uh, matches that to the law enforcement community that lives a very similar life in a lot of ways. And that's why a lot of military end up going into LEO. Coming out of the military, well, let me go back on that. The military makes things almost foolproof for you. The way we set things up, whether it's an ODA or whether it's our planning you know, process or all this other stuff, we lay it out so that you know what the intent is, you know what the end state is, and you know that concept in the middle to be able to get something done. And I think guys coming out of the military, we take that and we go, okay, you know, whether it's ranger school style or you know, SF, the way we think and we do things, we take that and, you know, all right, I'm being an entrepreneur see a gap. Now I'm going to fill it. Right. And the way the military does things, we do think we overdo things a lot of the time, but that kind of works to our benefit, especially when we get out, I think we start doing stuff. So I don't know. It's, I think you're giving a lot of credit to and putting it guys in the military. I don't think everybody quite honestly thinks that same way and is wired that way. I, I, I think I've seen a lot of guys that I oh, serve. Yeah, with. we got some dum dums in the military. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I work with some guys that let's face it, uh, yeah, couldn't see the forest for the trees, and then they couldn't even see how their future should be laid out. They didn't make decisions in the right timing. They got off of duty with zero plan and haven't been very successful in the long run. But I think those who were successful in the military, to your point, and those who have seen that those opportunities and built the career in in the right way and have developed 
developed a plan and a strategy and a vision are going to do the exact same thing when they get out into the private sector. They're going to make sure that they transition successful and everything else. And so um, I, I can say that the majority of people within the soft community are wired that way because they they do have to really plan out those types of activities or the things that they're going to do on a daily basis, uh, more so than I think the conventional army and so uh, or conventional military for that matter. I think, so. I, I think I think there's like there's a there's like a iceberg effect, right? So for us in in SF, and I, and I can I can speak from both both levels, you know, being that I held the exact same jobs in, in the conventional infantry, and then I went over on the uh, SF side. It's this iceberg effect of man, you're only seeing maybe ten percent of what we're doing. Like we have ninety percent of what we're doing is 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 happening without you even realizing it. And it's that trying to explain that story to people because, uh, you know, they only see the stuff that they want to see. Right. Like right. if you if you look at any SF video, it's it's direct action all right. the time. Right. Because, oh, yeah. you know what? Nobody wants to see, uh, you know, the other stuff. a bunch of green. Ber- mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see a green, a bunch of green berets at a poetry reading contest at right. the police chief's house. Right. Like that's yeah. that doesn't really show well on the recruiting video. You know, yeah. but like we are doing or their faces as they're there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, so, yes. Like, Good. <laughs> so we are we are doing a thousand different things, but it's all tied into like working towards this one one goal. And so like Drew's, Drew like and I give I'll give Drew all the credit on this. Like he he approached me because you know like this working with this uh, police department, he realized that you know if if it was just one one directional, if we're not hitting them from both directions and giving the leadership stuff to think about as well as the patrol officers like you you're right robert you're just gonna you're gonna speak to one of those groups and yeah. you're gonna completely yeah. fail right so so if he went to the to the top level and started working just with the police chief now the police chief's telling the patrol officers hey you guys need to do x y and z because drew said so the, that doesn't make any sense to them they're like all right whatever right you know right. and like all i need to do is survive a couple of weeks and then this guy's gonna be gone and can go back to do whatever i'm doing you know so it's it's that kind of like so drew kind of saw that aspect of it and at the end of the day a lot of people don't realize like sf people were were advisors you know right uh, there's an advisory aspect to what we do uh we can work as a as a small unit and go do a direct action mission or we can split up into small teams and, and command and control a battalion of indigenous soldiers where like drew would be working closely with the company commander in that scenario you know and so it's it's playing both those different you know kind of sides of the coin for us, um, where I think we can really show them some, give them some good techniques and some things that they can take with them and and really see some some benefit down the road. And what we're really trying to do is is work with this police department and future police departments for a very long period of time. So we come down there, we kind of do a reconnaissance, understand what the true issue is and what they really want. Um, you know what's gonna what's gonna be beneficial to them. Come back, do some planning, tailor a training program and things that we're gonna do, and then we fly back again, do like a week long, two weeks long, whatever it is. But we need to have touch points throughout the year, quarterly. You know, we'll come down there and 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 go tighten tighten some things up, or you know, see what see what's happening, give them some other lessons learned as first. All right, you're at this point now. Um, you're seeing X, Y, and Z. Maybe you need to do this now, kind of thing. So it's one of those things where like we have to take a very long term approach. To this because this can't be solved in a quick hey we're going to come down there give you a couple of powerpoints show you what we learned and good luck you know hope hope, hope it works yeah. out for you kind of thing so really what drew with his company or what he's trying to do is a very long-term approach uh, because it's it's not a it's not an easy problem to fix uh, and it takes a long time uh, so it's it's this constant touch point you know monthly phone calls fly yeah. down quarterly for two for 48 hours kind of like see it on the ground again kind of thing so that's kind of what 
Where, I mean, I, when you're I looking see, at an area or anything like this and you're trying, trying to completely change the way somebody operates or change the perception of the people, that's not a short-term thing. And as Americans, I think we absolutely suck at, you know, investing, you know, in the long run or understanding that it's a marathon, not a sprint. We want right. immediate gratification. We want immediate results. Absolutely. So having that long-term plan set in place where it's not just, hey, we're here for a week or two weeks. Hey, here's some training. Good luck, boys. It's no, that doesn't work. That'd be a disservice to these cops. So one, we're getting down there, just like Jason talked about. We have to understand as best we can, like they do. You know, we have to take their word for it and understand that they're the experts in their area. So get all that, help them develop some of these products or, you know, put these mechanisms in place where they can map that human terrain and they can actually take our principles and truly apply them. It's not giving somebody a skill or a, a class or a seminar for an hour or two and be like, all right, good, now go do it. Like, that's yeah. not... That's giving, that's That's giving somebody bread, you know, but then they're going to starve for the next, you know, week, but it's, you know, actually giving them the skills to go and, you know, hunt or get their own food kind of deal. So we're actually getting down there. We want to truly understand this. We want to get down there and invest in that long-term success because just like in 2012, that Afghan deployment, you know, we had to slow roll that whole thing. And what we did in that deployment actually held up when 2014, when I went back to Afghanistan, I was in Kabul. And talking to some of the people, our security in that area, the area we had, you know, we said, no, this isn't right. We fought them the whole time. They wanted 300, you know, people in this program, ALP program. They want to, you know, this whole district taken. So we can't do it. It's not going to work. So we did half of what they asked us to. And they were pretty pissed off about it. But we were the only place that still had security two years later. And they couldn't figure out why it was. So I sat there and listened while they're briefing some general. Why is this district in Afghanistan still have security? And I was like, boop. What's up, guys? Hey, that was my team. Uh, so here's what we did, and they were all blown away. Like, yeah, it's what you told us to do, and we just did it. You know, like it was the concept of it. And when people told us we were wrong, we're like, no, we're the guys on the ground. This is what we're doing. And you know, anyway, to get that long-term success like that, it took us nine months. Yeah. You know, and then it took a good handoff with another team coming in after us to be able to do that again. And you know, and keeping that continuity and keeping those effects going nonstop. You know, not switching it up and and changing the game plan every few months or every year. You know, and, and the problem, the problem is that um, what they wanted you to do, Drew, like what they want you to do is was get those short term, the short term yeah, goals. Exactly. And, and and it always hurts the long term, right? And so because you're trying to short, quantify it, you exactly. want to quantify yep. things, man. It's like long term goals can't be quantified right away. You want to quantify stuff that does not add up to long term success always. I mean, yep. yeah, like. I'm not going to lie. I wonder if there's more dead bad guys, they can't shoot back at you. But certain things like, hey, are you creating more? All these other stuff. Like, I can't, if that is your mission, we can't quantify that by simple things like, you know, enrolling people in an ALP program. Uh, yeah. And, and that's kind of like where, where we're really coming from with this is that our, our experiences that when you, when you wrap yourself around the wrong measures of, of what we, we, so Drew and I are looking at, we care about measures of effectiveness. We care about the overall, what is effective measures of performance is what everyone above us always cares about. Like, what did you do? What did you do? Quantify right now to me, X, Y, and Z down this whole list. What did you guys do this week? Uh, you know, to make that place better, kind of whatever. And so, it, you know, if you take that short-term approach, you're always going to fail. And that's kind of where, like, I think our our experience and our stories like this to to be able to explain that it's months and years of work, but it really pays off in the end if you do this right. Uh, and so that's kind of like where our our approach to this. When people come and look uh, listen to the uh, the podcast, they're going to be wondering, okay, how can I get in 
contact with Bear Solutions or with you, Drew and Jason. So what's the best way for them to get in contact with you or follow you or to understand a little bit about what you guys are going to be doing? And, and when I say follow, is there even an opportunity to hear a little bit about from test case studies of, of what you're doing um, and keep up with that? Right. So the best way to get in contact with me right now is probably through my website, uh, bearsolutionsllc.com. And it's B-A-E-R. Uh, long story behind that. People be like, that's not how you spell a bear. You know, it's like, <laughs> I got it, man. I did a little play on the word. So B-A-E-R solutionsllc.com. Website's through there. Right now for all this stuff that we're doing, the consulting, uh, we're keeping that off the website. Those opportunities are there. If someone wants to contact us, absolutely. We can get in contact with you because we're building everything. Everything's individual. Like my slogan for our rifle training portion of this is individual shooters, individual solutions. And if you're going to look at our consulting, it'd probably be individual problem sets, individual solutions or something along those lines. Yeah. But everything is individual. We create something, you know. What's bespoke, I think, is a big word British people use to sound fancy, but something like that that's a custom thing that's tailored for their success. So if they do want to get in touch, absolutely. It's just Drew at BearSolutionsLLC.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram. Uh, a lot of that is the shooting-related stuff that we do. Um, not as professional, a little more personal stuff on there, but, you know, Bear Solutions. And then, Jason, if you, know, if you want to get in touch with either of us through Bear Solutions, you're happy to contact us through the web form uh, that we have on there, the contact us page, or if Jay, Jason, if you wanted to have any other contact ways for you. No, I, I think, no, I, I, everybody needs to just, if they want to work with Bear Solutions, they just need to go to that that spot. Because um, yeah. that's how you get to, in touch with both of us. Drew, Drew can funnel information, um, that kind of thing. So I don't even want to throw out other contact info. I think that's that's the one. Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing all this information with us. And, and definitely wish you best of luck out there. Appreciate it, Robert. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.